Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. And it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. But rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much for that. Welcome. Uh, great to be with you today. Uh, kicking off a brand new series called Love Is, uh, looking at the significance, the importance of love in our lives and in our lives as the church. And, and so, so excited for uh, what's going to be a fantastic series over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, but I want to begin, before we go any further, I want to begin with a bit of audience participation. Is that okay? I, wanna, I want to ask you a question. Uh, wherever you're gathered, um, by show of hands, I want to find out from you who here is a proud member of the Automobile Association. Any, any, anyone part of the AA? The Automobile, fantastic, fantastic. RAC, All right, green flag. Green flag, wonderful. There are other breakdown uh, organizations available, I need to say, in the interest of fairness. Um, but, but I am part of the AA, and uh, for my AA uh, Automobile Association um, fellow members, you will know uh, that, there, that there's a story as to how you join a breakdown recovery organization, isn't there? There is a tale. Uh, there's a before and there's an after. And, and for me, um, the story of how I became uh, a member of the Automobile Association is uh, once I was not, and then I discovered it would be a fantastic idea. Uh, it was about four years ago, and I was driving my then fiance, Isabel, from where I lived in Cambridge at the time to where she lived in southwest London, in Putney. And it was a gorgeous Sunday afternoon. The sun was shining, the birds were singing, the M11 was lovely. I mean, it was its usual beautiful concrete self. And, and as we were sailing down the M11 at the speed limit, um, we, 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 the journey was going fantastically well. I, I dropped her off, uh, making good time, turned around to begin the return leg of the journey, and, uh, and all was going well until I noticed, as I drove into central London, that actually... Uh, my dashboard indicator was saying I had a problem. Actually, the, the needle indicating the heat of the car was beginning to flicker gently into the red. And uh, like all responsible motorists, when I see a red warning light on my dashboard, I drive right on because it probably is going to get better. Uh, but, 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 but in this case, um, around the kind of Tower Hamlets area of London, I noticed that actually this problem was going from bad to worse. I, I pulled over um, and, and, and I, I looked on my phone contacts to find somebody who knew knew more about cars than me. Now, fortunately, most of my phone contacts fall into that category. And so I was able to, I was able to choose somebody, give, give them a call. And they said to me, Steve, don't you worry. Uh, your car is overheating. It's fine. Just turn the radiator on, wind the windows down, and drive on. So, so that's what I did. I turned on the radiators, wind down the windows, and, and drove on. Uh, and all was well. Uh, but when I hit the motorway, that's right, the motorway. When I hit the M25, I realized that while the needle before had been gently flickering into the red, it was now firmly in the red. And not only that, but although my foot was firmly on the accelerator, the car was beginning to lose speed. I was on the outside lane of the M25 going 70, 65, 60, 55, 50, 45, 40. My car was slowly beginning to die. 
My stress levels were going up. The speed of the car was going down. I was thinking, this is an absolute disaster. At, at that point, I began internally praying, Jesus, give me a hard shoulder or I'm going to see you soon. And so there I am. I'm on the inside lane now with the M25 cruising along at ever diminishing speeds. And, and, and shortly after that, that panic prayer, I, I, I drive past a sign that says no hard shoulder for 10 miles. <laughs> I'm there on the inside lane of the M25 going along. Eventually, I find an SOS lane. I pull in, handbrake on, job done. Now, to cut a very long and painful story short, when eight hours later, at 4 a.m., a kind representative of the local county council impounded my vehicle, I decided it would be a fantastic time to join the AA. Wherever you're gathered, I want us to give the Lord a shout of praise for roadside recovery. Come on, let's thank the Lord for roadside recovery. Wonderful. Now, now, if you were to look at my car, uh, you would probably think it's actually in pretty good working order. Uh, it's keeping the rain out. Fantastic. Uh, the exhaust is working. The engine seems to be going all right. You've got the electrics. They're fine. Uh, but actually, what was happening in my car was, unbeknown to me, uh, th th there was a fatal problem hidden away under the bonnet, which sooner or later was going to cause the collapse of the car. Uh, in my case, there was a leak in the pipes. And although everything else looked absolutely fine, something fundamental had a flaw in it. And whether I knew it or not, it was going to lead to a collapse. And so today, we're going to be starting a series called Love Is, looking at the absolute importance of love in our lives and in the life that we share together as the church. Why? Because love, like the pipes in a car, all right, like, like foundations of a house, like, like software on a computer, is in a sense unseen, is in a sense often unglamorous, and yet as Paul says to the church in Corinth, it is absolutely essential to the running of everything else. And so we're going to be beginning today a series looking at the significance of love for us as the church. And, and we're believing together that as we unpack Paul's wonderful letter to the church in Corinth, we are going to grow from strength to strength in our loving relationships. And we're going to ensure that individually and together as a church, we're going to keep on moving forward. And we're not going to break down because we're going to deal with anything that has to be dealt with under the bonnet. This is exactly what Paul says to the church in Corinth. And, and because Paul writes this letter to a church, we're going to be, if you like, applying it together to us as a church and looking at how we can grow in love in this community. So together uh, today, as we begin this series, uh, I, I want us to ask three questions. My first question is this. Why is love indispensable? Why is love indispensable. If, if, if I read again the verses that we heard uh, a short moment ago, Paul writes 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Quite striking words there from the Apostle Paul. And it's really important to note that Paul is writing this to an amazing church. 
Paul's writing this to a fantastic church. This, this church in Corinth, they're exercising the gifts of the Spirit. That means they are moving in God-given abilities to do what he has called them to do. They're full of faith. They're believing that God is going to move obstacles in their own lives, in, the, in their city, in their nation. They're, they're, they're believing that God can do the impossible. Isn't it great when we believe that? And they're also living lives of sacrificial generosity with their money and, and with their whole livelihood. And Paul, he's not saying stop doing that. He's just saying, in addition, let's make sure the love thing's working really well, because love underpins everything else. Paul's not saying gifts are bad. He's not saying faith is bad. He's not saying sacrifice is bad. Paul's actually spent the majority of 1 Corinthians 12, that is the previous chapter, telling the Corinthians about the importance of spiritual gifts. Paul is saying all that stuff is fantastic. And yet, let's ensure our love is in good working order because it is going to be so significant. So, so, so Paul says, without this love, we are a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Well, what is that? Well, a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, is just, it's just like a hollow noise. It's just like a hollow noise. Paul says, without this love, even if we're full of faith, we are nothing. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul says, we can give away all we have. We can even give away our lives. Uh, But if that's not underpinned by love, he says, we gain nothing. In other words, even our most generous acts, even our most amazing acts, they don't count for us unless they're underpinned by love. Now, if, if we return to the, the car illustration for just a moment, uh, you'll remember that there was a leak in my pipes, but everything else was working really well. And, and Paul, in the same way, is talking to the church in Corinth, commending them for what's going well, and yet saying, let's pay attention to this fundamental thing under the bonnet, which could cause trouble uh, later on. This is almost an offensive beginning to the chapter, isn't it? If I had a letter and it began like this, I'd think, hang on a minute. Paul is kind of giving them a bit of a slap around the face, isn't he? And he's saying, look, wake up, church in Corinth. This stuff is great, but let's give attention to the love. Now, do you know, here in Kingsgate, we have a fantastic culture of love. We have a fantastic culture of loving relationships. And that's brilliant, and we want to celebrate that. But at the same time, we want over this next series to take that to a whole new level. Do you know, as I was getting ready for this message, I was in touch with uh, some of the pastoral team, finding out some of the kind of everyday, ordinary stories about how love and loving relationships are being worked out in this church community. So many stories, uh, but, but, but here's one I, I want to share with you. A lady wrote in to say this, I'd been in hospital following a bleed on the brain, so I wasn't able to drive. And this happened to coincide with when I was supposed to be moving house. I'd rented a van, but I was unable to use it, but had so many people turn up from young adults, almost 20 people, not only to drive the van, but to pack all the boxes, put them in the van, and move them for me. She she says this, she says, it was the easiest and quickest house move I've ever been a part of. And she says, without the love and support I have no idea how I'd have managed. Without the love and support, I'd have had no idea how to manage. Also, two of the helpers noticed when we got to my new place that I didn't have a washing machine. So they snuck out, went and bought me a new washing machine because they decided to bless me with one. Isn't that incredible? Let's thank the Lord for the culture of love we've got in our Kingsgate family. You know, one, one of my heroes in this church is, is a man called Roger. Roger drives the van uh, for us in Kingsgate, London, most weeks. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was catching up uh, with him about his life, and, and he said he'd had a busy day. He was serving in Peterborough at 8.30 in the morning. 
Then he drove the van down to London. Uh, not only does he drive the van, but he then joins the production team, unloads the van, gives us all a hand. Uh, and then after that, Roger comes up to the prayer meeting where he joins the prayer team and brings faith and everything else into the prayer environment. Then once the prayer meeting was over, uh, Roger puts on his welcome jacket and he goes outside of our venue and welcomes people so that they feel welcomed as they come into the house of God. And, and you know, I am super challenged by people like Roger. Because when, when Roger serves like that, week in, week out, yes, he's exercising his gifts. Yes, he's absolutely moving in faith. And we, we can all agree he's being very sacrificial. But what is it that shines through above everything else? It's his love. It's the love. It's the love that Roger has that makes the difference. And, and so it challenges me when I'm leading in a Sunday or, 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 or when I'm hosting a life group midweek. How much is love my, pro, my primary motivator? How, how much, like Roger, am I shining out with the love? Because actually I'm doing it out of the overflow of the love God has given me, and so I'm giving it to other people. Am I just exercising my gift? Am I just moving in faith? Am I just being sacrificial? Nothing wrong with those things. Or am I doing like Roger and allowing love to be my primary motivator. And so as, as we begin this series today, I, I wonder if we were to kind of mark ourselves on a, on a scale of one to 10, where, where, where one is, is not so much and 10 is very much, where, where is love as our primary motivator um, right now? And, and, and as we begin this series and as we go forward over the next few weeks, let's believe that we are gonna increasingly be living and giving and moving in faith and sacrificing out of the overflow of the love God gives us and the love that we share with one another. You see, love is indispensable because without it, Paul says, everything else is meaningless. So if, if love is so important and if love is so significant, then, then the second question for us today is, what is this love? What is love? What is love? And, and it's important as we, as we begin uh, looking at this question to be very clear what this love is not. You, you see, the word that Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians 13, it's a word actually used throughout much of the New Testament, is the word agape. It's the word agape. Uh, and, and in our culture, um, we only have one word for love, don't we? Which is problematic, uh, because on the one hand, I love ice cream. Yeah? And on the other hand, I love Isabel, my wife. And, and, that, and that could be problematic in conversation, couldn't it? Well, which do you love more? Well, they're both the same word, and yet we know that they have a very different meaning. And, and, and in the language of the New Testament, there are multiple uh, words for love. Paul is using this word agape, uh, which I want to suggest to us at the beginning of this series, uh, means, means something like this. It means the love God showed to us, which we share with others. Agape love is the love God showed to us, which we share with others. In other words, it's nothing to do with feelings. It's nothing to do with sex. It's nothing to do with attraction. Nothing to do with emotion. And praise the Lord, it's nothing to do with romantic comedies. It is agape love. It's agape love. The love God showed me, which I share with other people. It's about our will, not about our feelings. And it's about giving. It's not about getting. And so it's important that we unpack this whole question, what is this love? Because it's actually not maybe as obvious as we thought. Paul, to our 21st century imaginations, is actually redefining love. He's actually taking us back to the original meaning of love and saying maybe love is different than you thought. Maybe love is something more than we thought. It's not only something we receive, it's also something we give. We receive it and we give it. We receive it and we give it. 
I like to think of this love as, as something like a reservoir. Um, I, I don't know if you know, but a reservoir is a body of water uh, which has a source, as in there is a way in which it is filled, but it also is designed to distribute water elsewhere. A reservoir is not designed simply to collect and stagnate. A reservoir is designed to be filled and then resource in order to refresh local households with clean drinking water or, or whatever it might be. The, the agape love of God is like that. There are two elements to it. We receive it from God and we share it with those around it. We receive it from the source and we share with those around us as well. We freely receive and we freely give. There's a rhythm to it. We receive, we give. So, so what is it then, this agape love? What, what is it that we are sharing? If you like, what characterizes the love that God gave to us, which we give to other people? Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking 1 Corinthians 13. And, and I'm not going to go in depth on the following verses. Um, but, but I do want to just look briefly at verses 4 to 8, almost to give us a kind of headline of, of what Paul says characterizes the kind of love God gives us that we give others. You see, this agape love, Paul writes, is patient and kind. The agape love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. This agape love doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. This agape love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This agape love never fails. This kind of agape love is so significant that it matters that we're on the same page as to what it really means. You, you, you know, we see this at work in our church family uh, already. I, another story that I came across this week as, as I was preparing for the message, uh, s- somebody wrote in and said this. She said, when I broke my ankle, I wasn't able to drive for six months. People at Young Adults rallied around and brought me to and from church on Sundays and Wednesdays for Young Adults, and they took me to youth on Fridays so I could serve. And throughout this time, they took me to hospital appointments and they took me food shopping. I, I think it's amazing the stories of agape love already at work in our community. But, but if we just kind of, um, cel- we, we want to celebrate that story, but, but let's just for a moment analyze what's going on here. What's going on here is somebody needs to receive some love, some other people around have received love from Jesus, and then like any good reservoir, they're passing it on. Now, this person, this particular person who's part of a particular life group, who had particular needs, imagine if they were surrounded by friends who, yep, they'd received the love of Jesus. They'd received the agape love. But they thought, do you know what? I'm not sure about this whole distribution business. I think I'm actually going to kind of like keep it in my reservoir. Well, they probably wouldn't have driven her to church. They probably wouldn't have taken her food shopping. You see, the love becomes beautiful not only when it's received, but when it's outworked. The reason why this story is something worth celebrating and championing is is because people acted on the love they have received. And and so I want to encourage us all, as we have a culture of love here in Kingsgate, to be constantly considering when it comes to the agape love, how am I receiving and then how am I passing on what Jesus has given to me? This agape love then, the love God showed us, which we share with others, is designed to be received and it is designed to be passed on. So, so my third question for us today, as we begin this series, is simply this. What do we do about it? 
What do we do about it? You see, we know why love is indispensable, because without it, everything is meaningless. And we know what this agape love is. It's the love God showed to us, which we then share with others. Uh, But the big question today, as we finish, is what do we do about it? Because we don't just want to know it intellectually, do we? we? We don't just want to know it as a theory. We want to know what do we do? How then should we live in the light of it? And I suppose the main suggestion that I want to make for us as a church community, what do we do about it? Well, we need to make love our number one goal. We need love to be our number one goal. Throughout this message, I've been talking about cars. I've been talking about reservoirs. They're both kind of slightly engineering type word pictures, aren't they? Uh, but, but for all you green-fingered people out there, uh, we're now going to talk about the garden. Okay, so we've gone from cars to reservoirs to gardens. Um, we, we, when Isabel and I lived in uh, Great Wilbraham, before we lived in, in London, we lived just outside Cambridge in a beautiful village called Great Wilbraham. And the reason why this village was so beautiful uh, was because of the gardens. Gardens can be gorgeous, can't they? Um, the trouble was that our garden slightly let the side down, uh, if, if I'm being vulnerable with you. And, uh, and one day, as I was leaving my cottage, um, I saw across the road my neighbor who kept this beautiful. I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was luscious. It was green. It was colorful. It looked good in all different kinds of weathers. And, uh, and as I went over to speak to him, um, I, I was asking him, how do you keep your garden looking so good? Well, first he told me, um, I actually spend 40 hours a week on my garden. Phenomenal, isn't it? So, you know, at that point, I thought, well, I'm just going to give up right now. I mean, you know, I can't spend 40 hours a week on my garden. But, 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 but because we lived outside of Cambridge, uh, not only was he a keen gardener, he was also an academic scientist and a member of the Royal Society, obviously, because we lived outside of Cambridge. And so, so as I began to ask him about the gardening, he, he began to explain to me the principle of entropy, which was a principle I was totally unfamiliar with. Uh, but basically, the principle of entropy states that anything, however beautiful or it, you know, whatever kind of good condition it already may be in, when left to its natural devices, everything will eventually return to chaos uh, unless we tend to it and care for it. Now, what he was doing in his nice way was telling me a parable about my lawn. And, uh, and so I appreciated that and said, thank you, Peter. God bless you, and drove on. And, uh, and, and, but, but, but what he was saying was, regardless of how good a condition something is already in, we've got to make it our number one priority. We, we, we can't be complacent. Do you, do you know, in Kingsgate, we have got a wonderful culture of love. We, we've got, if you like, a wonderful garden of love. It, it, it's, in, it's, in, it's in great condition. But it's not going to stay in great condition unless we make it our number one priority. We've got continually to be devoting ourselves to, to, to this culture of love. We, we've got to be making it our number one priority in order for it to, yes, be maintained, but actually in order for it to get even better. You see, if we want to take it to the next level, and I believe we do over this series, then we have to consider how can we cultivate this garden of love that we have at work in our church. Now, I'm not an experienced gardener, as you'll have gathered, uh, but there are two things, apparently, that are important when it comes to cultivating a beautiful garden. First thing you've got to do is you've got to plant the right seeds, haven't you? You've got to to plant the right things that are going to grow. Um, And the second thing you've got to do is you've got to pull up those little weeds. You've got to plant the right seeds, you've got to pull up the weeds in order that you're growing the right things and you're not growing the wrong things. Uh, In a garden, generally, you end up growing something, but we want to ensure we're growing the right things 
and we're pulling up the wrong thing. So the first thing we want to do as we cultivate this garden of love in our church family is we want to be a people who plant seeds. I love, I love what Mother Teresa said. She said, don't think that love, in order to be genuine, has to be extraordinary. Isn't that, isn't that quite liberating? Love, in order to be genuine, as in in order to be beautiful and authentic and all those things that we want, it doesn't have to be extraordinary. It doesn't have to be some unbelievable one-off heroic act. Do you know, as we cultivate our garden of love as a church, it's not only going to happen through heroic acts, it's going to happen through everyday, ordinary, repeatable seeds of love being sown. Uh, Consider with me for a moment, what is a seed? A seed is something very, very small with enormous potential. And as you and I continue to sow seeds of love in our community, what are we doing? We're doing small things that are going to bear a great harvest. We're throwing out small things that are going to yield significant results. I want to encourage us as a church community, as we cultivate the garden of love that we enjoy, let's be people who sow the right seeds. Very practically, if we're not sure what seeds to be sowing, how about we sow seeds of love with our words? So powerful, isn't it? To use our words, small, maybe we might even think insignificant things that can have a significant result that can yield a wonderful harvest. Um, not, not long ago, um, my wife Isabel and I were in Germany visiting my sister and my, and my brother-in-law. And, um, and while we were out there, we went to a cafe. And, uh, and while we were in the cafe, we got talking with uh, the lady who was serving us. And uh, the lady who was serving us, uh, we, we'd never met before, but, but she, was, she was American. And uh, she hadn't met any English-speaking people. in. Ge- she'd been there for four years, and she'd hardly met anybody who was a native English speaker. So for her to have a conversation with us, it was, just, it was really refreshing and, and interesting for her. Now, the fantastic thing about this is we sowed seeds of love with our words. Very ordinary. We just had a conversation, and she gave us free brownies. <laughs> Come on. You know, sowing seeds can get results. No, 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 I'm, j- I'm joking. She, she, she gave us free brownies, but, but actually much, much more significantly than that, as we left, after five minutes of conversation, she said, this chat has made my day. You know, a conversation seasoned with love can make somebody's day. Never think on a Sunday, in life groups, in serving teams, that your words don't count. They absolutely count. Asking how somebody is, remembering a situation that somebody's navigating, saying happy birthday on the right day. All of these things, all of these things are sowing seeds of love that bear a beautiful harvest. Do you know, I love that seeds are small, they're they're doable, they're repeatable. We can do it every day. It doesn't cost very much, but it yields a wonderful return. Let's be people who plant seeds of love, but also Let's be a people who pull up weeds. We need to plant the seeds and we need to pull up weeds. Paul, Paul, Paul says, when, when he talks about what this agape love is, he says love is patient and kind. And so in conversation with friends on a Sunday or, or midweek or, or even in our own hearts, we know that patience and kindness are seeds of love. That means impatience and unkindness are what? They're weeds. And so in conversation, when we sense an impatience or an unkindness in the tone of the conversation, or or even sometimes more difficult to find on on our own heart, 
We need to be a people who are like, no, no, that is a nasty little weed. I'm going to be pulling that out right now. Because any of you who are gardeners, you'll know that a small weed today can be a big problem tomorrow. Uh, Weeds, like the warning lights on cars when they are red, should not be ignored. Uh, They need attention paid to them. Otherwise, they're going to cause a problem later on. Let's be a people who diligently pick out the little weeds that come up in conversation uh, in our own lives. Could be a weed of offense. Could be a weed of unforgiveness. Could be a weed of bitterness. Let's be people who, as participators in this culture of Kingsgate, this culture of love, we, we, we all step up and become guardians of the culture. Where we say, no, 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 that unkindness or, or that offense or, or that bitterness that, that I'm sensing in this conversation or I'm feeling in my own heart, I'm going to give some time to it. You know, Proverbs instructs us, doesn't it? Guard your heart because from it flows everything else. Let's be a people who diligently look inside as well as at our conversations and discover where are the weeds that we need to remove in order to ensure we are cultivating a beautiful garden of love. Let's be a people who pay attention to the garden, planting the right seed and pulling up the nasty little weeds. And let's believe that as we do so, the culture in this house is going to go from strength to strength in Jesus' name. As we, as we draw this to a close, uh, I, I want to ask you today, where are you at with this whole agape love? Maybe like my old uh, VW Polo. You feel that like actually there's a leak somewhere. And, uh, and not only is there a leak somewhere, but you've seen the warning light. And, and, and you know that this whole question of love, receiving love from God, passing love on to other people, you actually know you need to give this area some attention. And, uh, and, and today's going to be an opportunity for you to do that. Uh, maybe today you feel like you're the reservoir. Uh, you, you've received from the source, but, but maybe for whatever reason, it's like the distribution hasn't quite worked out. And actually, you feel right now like, although you've received from the source what you've received, it's in danger of becoming stagnant if it doesn't find a suitable home soon. Maybe when we spoke about the garden, you were aware that actually in in your own life and maybe even in conversations, as we consider the the garden of love that we are all cultivating as the Kingsgate family, you're, you're just aware that now is a season. This series is, a, is an opportunity for you to step up as a guardian of the culture and be like, I'm going to deliberately sow more seeds of love and I'm going to deliberately pay attention to where those little weeds are. You know, the amazing thing about this agape love is that absolutely none of this, none of it is possible on our own. You know, I said, didn't I, that this agape love is something we receive from Jesus And it's something that we pass on to others. It's something we receive from Jesus. 1 John 4 verse 10 says, This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Jesus, you see, is the source of all love. And so over the next few weeks, as, as, as we go on this journey together of, of growing in our understanding of what this love looks like and how we distribute it freely and share it with, with others, the last thing I'd want us to take home from this message, this time together today, is just try harder. Because it's not about just trying harder. It's about allowing Jesus, the source of all love, to fill us up afresh, do what only he can do, and actually to enable us to live out lives of love as he represents 
most fully. And so today, I, I want to encourage us to take this moment to experience the love of Jesus afresh, and then in turn to share that love with those around us. I wonder if I could pray for us for just a moment. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the perfect agape love of Jesus represented so beautifully and so ultimately on the cross. I want to thank you for the deep sacrificial love that can bring us hope, can bring us freedom, can bring us opportunity, and can bring us life and life abundantly. And I pray for myself and for everyone gathered here today that that, that over this journey of exploring the love of Jesus, we'll go deeper in receiving and in sharing with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.